The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Live from Liverpool, the dark. Paranormal Season 9 Hi everyone and welcome back to The Dark Paranormal Season 9. First and foremost, thank you so much for the plethora of emails we received following last week's revisit back to Room 232. If anything, it certainly cemented itself as a dark paranormal classic tale. But Jesse's been back in touch to say we've had a bit of a breakdown in grammar slash communication. And a few of you eagle-eared listeners queried this too. And that was when Jesse was in the chapel, before she had her horrific daymare which involved the gun and, well, you know what else. I mentioned that the chapel temperature registered as minus 59 degrees, but Jesse's been in touch to explain that that should have simply meant a dash within the grammar, and negative 59 degrees is probably colder than most planets out there. So forgive me for the misreading on my end, but thank you to each and every one of you who reached out to query that, and to Jesse, of course, for pointing out the misunderstanding. So as we move on from room 232 and allow it some time to write its own next chapter, we move on to today's true paranormal experience. I've always wondered about the strength of the bond between a person and the bricks and mortar around them. For me, it's always made much more sense for a person to be haunted. For example, if you pass on, you miss your loved one not necessarily the bricks and mortar. But in today's true paranormal experience, it's not necessarily just bricks and mortar which have been left behind. And I will be quite honest with you and say, genuinely, one part of today's experience, I had a nightmare about last night. And I wish that wasn't the case because it was terrifying. But yes, I did indeed. See if you can pick out which part that was as you listen, and I'll reveal all at the end of today's show. But before we get to today's true paranormal experience, one that clearly affected me, we need to of course say a huge thank you to our wonderful team over at Patreon. When you join Patreon, not only will you receive these episodes both ad-free and before everyone else, you can also gain exclusive access to the Patreon-only podcast, Dark Bites. Dark Bites is a true paranormal podcast that runs every week of the year, even on the downtime between seasons of the Dark Paranormal, meaning you never miss your paranormal fix. Plus, there are over 30 hours worth of unheard content over there for you to binge. We've built a wonderful community of like-minded paranormal enthusiasts over at Patreon, and we'd like to extend an exclusive invitation for you to join the team head over to patreon.com 
forward slash the dark paranormal. Just like these wonderful new team members have. Mr. Felix, Bernard Daly, Danita Kelly, Olivia Gabriel, Jessica Arrell, Lindsay Curry, Jason Glasgow, Sonia, Jody Sinex, Lillian Miller, Shane Healy, Paola Vega Rodriguez, Olaf Sauto, Natalie Forsyth, Jennifer Mead, Louise Waggett, Ben, Adam Steinbacher, Mandy Fitzgerald, Mary Malcolm Sanders, Diane and Andrew Richardson. Well, welcome to the team, guys. I sincerely hope you enjoy all the ad-free early releases and, of course, those Dark Bites Patreon-only episodes. If you'd like to join the team, head over to patreon.com forward slash the dark paranormal. But right now, it's that time to lower the lights, make yourself comfortable, and of course, leave your disbelief at the door as we hear all about a spirit's anger. My experience comes after what should have been our dream house move. My name's Carol, not my real name, and I'm a GP in the northwest of England. The house move happened towards the back end of the pandemic, and as such, all the pre-paperwork took much longer than it should have, to the point where both I and my husband, Ian, on several occasions wondered whether all the hold-ups were a sign, a sign that we just shouldn't bother and should remain where we were in the city. But I was tired of the city. We lived a stone's throw from the practice I worked at, and I never truly felt that work-life separation. I guess it's tough to, really, when you can see where you work from your front window. Ian is a veterinarian, and his practice was also in the city. However, his route at least took him through the park and gave him a 15-minute walk through the scenic streets every morning and evening, so he got that sense of detachment. I didn't have that luxury. And the pull to get away was even stronger after the previous 18 months trying to run a practice during a global pandemic. So, just as the final remaining restrictions were lifted... We finally signed everything off and we were ready to move. The property was everything we were looking for. It was around a 40-minute drive from the city and was within a converted farm setup that consisted of a few barn conversions and a couple of new-build properties. Ours was, it transpired, the original farmhouse itself, which had clearly been added onto throughout its history. In total, the estate only consisted of five houses, all of which were spaciously separated from each other to give everyone their own private little piece of, well, countryside, basically. Other than the houses, the place was surrounded by farmers' fields as far as the eye could see. The entire site itself was very secluded, only accessible by one B-road, but by God was it scenic. Yes, it was everything we'd wanted. But there was one thing that had given us pause for thought when we initially viewed and debated the move. You see, the previous owner had apparently sold a small nook of land at the very back of our garden, which gave the end of our garden a very out-of-place L-shape. There was also a small path that led to this land, 
running alongside our garden, which was apparently part of this small land sale. It wasn't so much an eyesore as a questionable, oddly placed fence behind which sat a small shed. If this wasn't there, then it would be nothing but a clear view across the roaming fields beyond. But it was there. We were told by the estate agent that the shed was the property of a local artist, who kept themselves to themselves, and came and went as they pleased down the side path. Not ideal by any stretch, but we tried to look on the whimsical side. I mean, how many people can say they had their own on-site artist? We paid the back garden little attention during the first few weeks, as we instead went around the house marking where our changes would be. For example, I wanted a kitchen island, but that would mean knocking down a hopefully non-load-bearing wall which led into the real living room. We don't need two living rooms, I convinced Ian. Knocking that wall down would allow the kitchen island, and the back half we could maybe put in some bookcases for all of your books, and maybe one of those high-backed reading chairs. It could be like your own private snug. Well, that was Ian sold, and he began making marks on the wall and knocking the wall with his finger. Rather pointlessly, may I add, as he's many things, but he's not a builder. In the first few weeks we were in the house, it was wonderful, homely, and just bursting with positivity. That, however, would all change rather quickly. As we were getting the builders in anyway, we made a quick note of anything else that we wanted changing or fixing up. One thing that jumped out immediately was the fireplace, or to be exact, on the side of the fireplace. It was a coal fire, and if you can picture the chute and grate being slightly out from the wall, it meant the tall oblong chute obviously had three sides. The open side, which was above the fireplace, that was fine. The right-hand side, which faced nothing but a wall, again, that was fine. But the left-hand side was very different. It was as if a very crudely made window frame had been made using tiny bricks in the plaster, making some creepy-looking goblin-like window that unfortunately faced the front window. There was no pain in this window frame, of course, it was just plastered over, but it just had the outline of as if a window should have sat there. On the windowsill of this makeshift window were small dried blades of grass, long since dead. Well, that's got to go, I said to Ian, who shrugged. I like it a bit, it's a bit weird. I laughed. It's too weird. No, got to go. Ian laughed. Well, it looks like an easy enough job. They'll just get rid of these. He leaned in and picked at one of the small bricks. And they'll just plaster over the rest. It'll be really easy, that. And he made a note of it in his to-do book. That week, the builders arrived. And after talking them through the work to be done, they said they'd start on our little goblin window. I made them each a cup of tea and left them to it. The sun was shining and I decided to explore the back garden. The garden was well kept. Surprisingly so, given apparently 
the lady who lived here prior was in her early 90s when she passed on. I've a bit of a thing for passion flowers, and so took it as a sign we were on the right track when I found a few in bloom on a trellis at the back of the garden, which was the closest to the artist's shed. I flicked between staring at the beautiful flowers and up at the shed's windows. I tried to peek in, but they appeared to be thick with dirt or covered up from within. Either way, as any unknown building just plonked in your back garden would, it just made me feel uneasy. A slight shiver worked its way down my back as, Excuse me, love, came a voice from the back door. You might want to see this. I followed the man into the living room, where they'd laid out some sheeting for the fireplace work. What is it? I asked as I walked in. His younger colleague pulled a confused face and just pointed at the left side of the fireplace, where they'd been removing the small bricks. I walked around to look, and there, placed just behind the plaster, as if within the frame of those small bricks, was a half-skeletal, half-mummified cat, still in its curled-up position. Good God, I exclaimed. The two men laughed. We've found some things in our time doing this, but that's a new one on me. What do you want us to do with it? I think I inadvertently glared at him, but only because I've never been asked such a question before. Um, can you wrap it up in some sheeting? I'll leave it outside and my husband can take care of it later, I said. Yeah, sure. Are you okay with that? said the older man to his younger helper, who pulled a face and shook his head. I'm not touching that, no way. Kids, eh? said the man as he smiled. He flung some material over the remains and gently scooped them into the remainder of the sheeting, forming a sombre little bundle. I'll just take this out the front, he said. Sorry, I said as I rushed past him to open the front door, letting him out before saying hello to the woman on the doorstep. She was about mid-fifties and all smiles and bubbly. She introduced herself as Brenda, the artist. Ah, I exclaimed. I wondered when we were going to meet the infamous artist. I smiled at her. Yep, well, that's me, she chuckled, and then pointed at a bright orange Mini Cooper. That's mine, so if you see her parked up, you'll know I'm in. Feel free to come and knock on the shed any time. I'll show you around. She laughed. I mean, there's just a pottery wheel, an easel, and some other bits, but you're more than welcome. Oh, thank you, I replied. I was up that way before, admiring the passion flowers. They're my favourite. Oh, they were Maggie's too, she replied. And Maggie was the lady who lived here? I asked. Brenda just nodded. She had a gardener who would come in each week, though, and just keep the place tidy. Ah, I wondered how it was so immaculate, I said. The builder walked in between us to get back in. Excuse me, love, I've left the cat on top of those bins over there, he said, heading back in. Brenda's face changed. Cat, she said. I smiled. Yeah, but don't worry, a very dead one. Brenda didn't smile back. 
There was an uncomfortable silence as she leant back and looked through the living room window and then raised her hand to her mouth. Oh, Spencer, she muttered. Now I just felt awkward. Sorry, I said, stepping out to join her looking through the window. She was looking at the hole in the side of the fireplace. Maggie's cat, Spencer. When he died, she was devastated. So she got him stuffed and we made a little home for him in the wall. Brenda now had tears welling up in her eyes. God, I felt awful. She got him when her husband died. He lived till he was 17. Completely at a loss at what to say, given i just given the order to remove Spencer from his eternal resting place and place him in rags on the bin, I just muttered, That's a good age. Then, coming to my senses, I said, We could bury him out back if you think Maggie would have liked that. Brenda wiped her eyes, stared at the floor, and then asked if she could take him. She knew Maggie, I guess, certainly more than I did, and she'd probably have a little service for him or something. Yeah, of course, I said with a smile. Brenda walked off and slowly picked up the sheet containing Spencer's remains. I smiled and faced her Mini Cooper, fully expecting her to return the carcass to the car. But no. Instead, she headed off down the little side path to her shed at the rear of the garden, solemnly closing the door behind her as she entered. Let's have a quick break to talk to you about Policy Genius. Now, we all like to put off life insurance talk because it reminds us of our mortality. But life insurance isn't about death, it's about life. It's about ensuring the lives of those you love remain secure and comfortable. And I'm sure many of you will think, well, I'm covered through work or I'm covered through my bank account. But believe me, you want to check those finer details because you may be surprised what you're actually covered for. And this is exactly where Policy Genius come into their own. Yes, we could talk about how Policy Genius is America's leading online insurance marketplace or how their award-winning agents will walk you step by step through the entire process. But the best thing about Policy Genius for me is they don't have a dog in the fight. They're not going to strong arm you towards one company or another. They've no incentive to do so. Their only incentive is to listen to your needs, scour America's top companies, and find you the best price. For example, with Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that begin at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options even offer same day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. There's a reason why Policy Genius has thousands of five star reviews on Google and Trustpilot, and you'll find out what it is when you tick life insurance off your to do list with Policy Genius. So head over to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you can save. That's policygenius.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And she just took it to the shed, asked a bewildered Ian as he undressed for bed that evening. Yeah, well, what was I meant to say? I asked. No, no, you're right, 
It's just such a bizarre interaction to have with someone on the first meeting. He laughed. Pleased to meet you. Here's a dead... From downstairs, it sounded like a wall had collapsed. So much so, I was convinced that the newly plastered fireplace had fell to pieces or something. We both raced downstairs and into the living room. Nothing. Everything was in place, the sheeting still down. The kitchen, however, was a different matter. Splintered wood covered everywhere. The units, the floor. Some had even reached above the fridge. It took us both a while to notice what was missing. And then we simultaneously said, The table's gone. There was a small wooden table that was left with the house. Enough to fit two seats and no more. Not that there were seats with it, it was just the table that was left. But now, that table literally couldn't be made out. There were just pieces everywhere none of it identifiable as a table. It was as if it had actually exploded, or something massive had dropped on it from a height. I mean, was it like this before, and we just didn't notice? Asked Ian. Are you kidding? I almost shouted. How would we miss this? Also, what the fuck was that noise then? Ian just shrugged whilst blankly looking at the mess. Must be ghosts, then. Let's go back to bed and we'll sort all this in the morning, he said. Easy for him to say. I didn't sleep a wink that night. Also, to clarify, Ian does not believe in ghosts in the slightest. And sarcastically will say things like, Must be the ghosts, then. When something happens that doesn't make sense. I think it's just a defence mechanism with him. The next morning... Totally shattered, I stood on the back step in my robe with a cup of coffee trying to wake myself up. I heard the side gate go and saw Brenda walk up towards her shed with what looked like a large bag of leaves. Hi Brenda, I shouted and she gave a half-hearted smile and a semi-wave before disappearing into her shed. The builders returned over the next few days and nights and so the house was in a constant state of mess and bedlam. In truth, it would have been hard to tell if there was anything paranormal going on at all, if it didn't demand to make itself known. One early morning, we both lay sleeping and... We both shot up in bed to the sound of some awful ear-piercing screech from outside. Ian grabbed his phone. 2am. What was that? I asked. A fox? Ian was amazing with animal calls of all kinds, and given we were basically in the countryside, it wasn't such a terrible suggestion. But Ian looked terrified. More scared than I think I've ever seen him. No, that's not a fox. What is it then? I said, us both holding each other and staring towards the back bedroom window which faced out onto the garden, the shed and the fields beyond. Ian shook his head. I... I don't know. Ian wasn't himself and I started to get concerned. I put my hand on his chest 
and his heart was racing. Jesus, Ian, what's wrong? Your heart's coming out of your chest. He was as pale as a sheet. He said he'd just had a nightmare where he was stood on the front step and a woman in a shroud was stood there. She asked to be let in. He refused. She demanded to be let in. He again refused and blocked the entrance. He said the woman smiled and then from a low croak began making a noise which built into a scream which built into that exact noise that was outside. I'll admit I was terrified at the description of this but I tried to rationally explain to Ian how noises from the real world can sometimes creep in and influence our dreams so maybe it was some sort of animal in distress and it had been making that noise for a while and that in turn is what led to the dream Ian nodded slowly as he stared into space and we both slowly lay back down Ian rolled the other way and under his breath said that wasn't an animal Within the days following, I had my kitchen island, and Ian had his little snug, and all building work was complete. Ian hadn't slept much since our little encounter, and that morning I suggested he thrown a sick day, but he refused, ever the professional. I had a day's leave but had no plans. I just wanted to enjoy being in my finally completed dream home. I was upstairs changing the new bedding when I heard a noise above me from the attic. It sounded like a box being pushed. I just froze. Rats, maybe? I waited for what felt like an age, but there was no further sound. So, putting it down to getting used to the new sounds of the house, I carried on. But I realised that in all the commotion... I hadn't even thought about investigating the attic. I walked out to the landing and looked at the hatch. There was no hook or pulley. It was clear I'd need a stepladder. I'd seen one somewhere I just couldn't remember where. Ah, leaning next to Brenda's shed. I'm sure she wouldn't mind me borrowing it. I nipped out the front way to check if her Mini Cooper was there, which it wasn't so I quickly jogged up the side path to the shed, the door of which was slightly ajar, only an inch or so, but inquisitiveness got the better of me. So I slowly crept over and peeked through the crack. I couldn't make much out, but, good God, I was pretty sure I could see part of the cat's skull on a table with leaves threaded through the holes of its... Hello! I fell back on my arse as Brenda appeared in the crack of the door. Christ, Brenda! I muttered, standing up and dusting myself down. I, I, I didn't know you were in. Brenda stepped outside, carefully closing the door behind her. I rode in today. She nodded at a bike in the corner. Are you OK? She begrudgingly asked. Yeah, yeah, I'm fine. Sorry, I just wanted to borrow the stepladder. 
I pointed at the ladder at the side of the shed. Right, said Brenda unconvincingly. Sure, go on then. I smiled an awkward, embarrassed smile and thanked her before heading back to the house. God, the shame. But what the hell was she doing with that poor cat's remains? It boggles the mind. I set up the ladder and hoisted up the panel of wood to gain access to the attic. A small torch held in my mouth. The attic was entirely empty, with the exception of one cardboard box. I scrambled back down the ladder and grabbed a broom to use as a hook, and from my place on the ladder I managed to drag the box over and carry it down the steps. Looking through the contents on my bed, I realised it was a box of photographs. I take it of Maggie and her husband, from about their mid-forties onwards, all smiles on various holidays, then in about their sixties sat in the back garden of this house. Then just Maggie, and a woman I take it as her friend or relative. She looks far less happy in these ones. Then Maggie and a little ginger kitten. Then only two more photographs. Both of Maggie and her adult cat. Both much older. Him sat on her lap in each one of the photographs. I felt tears well up in my eyes. Just how this was everything of Maggie now. And how sad that was. And also just how quickly life can flash past us. I wished there and then that Ian had took the day off and we were together doing something, anything. Life's far too short. I wiped my eyes, placed all the photos back in the box and went to the front door. It was Brenda. I I'm almost done with the ladder, I smiled. Oh no, that's fine, she replied. It's just to let you know I'm going to be setting a small fire behind the shed. Just in case you were planning on putting out any washing or anything. No, no, I smiled and shook my head. The way I reacted made me realise something. I was afraid of Brenda. I couldn't put my finger on why and maybe it was completely unfounded. But yep, I was afraid of her. I could have had a day's washing planned and I would have still said no and smile like an idiot. I hated myself for being so weak. I headed back upstairs and was about to return the box to the attic when I noticed that two photos were out of the box and on the bedroom floor. One was Maggie with the kitten and the other was Maggie with the adult cat on her lap. For the first time, I got it. I said out loud, Maggie? Are you angry with me for moving Spencer? There was a noise downstairs from the kitchen area. I knew it was one of the island stools being moved. I'm sorry, Maggie, I truly am. Do, do you forgive me? There was a deep silence. I ran downstairs, knowing exactly what the sound was, and I was right. A small porcelain bowl I kept on the island containing some knick-knacks and keys and the like had been pushed off onto the floor. Thankfully the bowl was still intact, 
but this was definitely a message that Maggie was not in the forgiving mood. I'd had it for the day. I just left. I headed into town for a coffee and to try and clear my head. Ian texted whilst I was out, asking if he could call me, which was very unlike him. When he called, he said, This is a stupid question, but I need to ask it. Go on then, I said. Well, this morning, were you playing, like, peekaboo at the bathroom door? I couldn't help myself. I burst out laughing. Oh, forget it, said Ian, and hung up. I tried calling back, but he would just reply with, with client, on text. Great. What a day I'm having. Now I've pissed him off too. But what the hell did he mean? That evening, I made him his favourite dinner for when he walked through the door by way of an apology. Hey, I'm sorry I laughed earlier. No, I'm sorry for snapping at you, he said, throwing his keys into the porcelain bowl. So what did you mean? I asked. Ian sat down, still in his coat, and said, Look, I've thought about this all day and I must have imagined it, because I've been so tired lately, that's all. He shook his head. Imagined what? I asked. He rubbed his stubble and then raised his hands, dropping them to his thighs with a slap. Okay, well, this morning about 5.30, I seen someone's head pop around the bathroom door. I couldn't see features because of the steam on the shower door, but I thought it was you, because it went, and then it came back for a while, and then it went and then it popped in and out quite quickly, about five or six times. I was even laughing, thinking you were being stupid. But then I got out of the shower, and you were fast asleep on the bed. He raised one hand and made a face as if to say, So what do you make of that then? I was dumbstruck. Not necessarily due to what he'd experienced but more down to the fact the words were coming out of Ian's mouth. In all the years I've known him, I've never seen him look so confused or at odds with himself over anything, and it scared me. Ian's the rational one. Perhaps whatever this was knew that and was trying to specifically make a point to him. That evening we lay in bed, and I was waiting, just waiting for something to happen. I've never, ever experienced that much anticipation in my life. And then it happened. The TV came on by itself. Ian woke beside me, but as strange as the TV coming on was, that's not what I'm referring to. You see, the light of the TV slowly filled the room, And as our eyes adjusted, Ian was the first to spot it. I heard him inhale sharply, and I followed his gaze to the bedroom door. A head-shaped shadow was peering at us from an odd angle, as if... as if it had crawled horizontally on the other side of the wall to eventually pop its head out and around the door... Fuck off, Ian shouted and launched his phone towards the thing. 
In turn, I fumbled for the lamp at the side of the bed. Did you see it? Did you see it? Ian asked frantically. I, however, was surprisingly calm about the whole situation. And I tried to explain to him, I think it's ever since we moved the cat. Even despite what he'd just experienced, he laughed at the suggestion. Sod you then, I thought, and turned the lamp off again. Whilst he headed over to the door, picked up his phone and went round to inspect the whole house. What could have cast that shadow? I heard him say to himself out loud as he walked around the house, trying to convince himself clearly and maybe calm himself down. That next morning was a Saturday, and I was off work, but Ian had clinic. I headed downstairs and could see Brenda's outline behind the front door. Oh, great, I thought. I opened the door. Hi, Brenda, I said with a forced smile. Brenda seemed to give a legitimate smile back, which kind of caught me off guard. Hi, Carol, she said in the bubbly way she did when I'd first met her. She pulled out a Hessian bag from over her shoulder. Listen, I've made you something here. She proceeded to pull out the most delightful little glazed pot, along with the passionflower motif on the front. She held it out. Oh, Brenda, it's beautiful. And the passionflower too. Oh, thank you so much. I went to try and remove the lid, but it was glued shut. I looked at Brenda, and Brenda pulled a there's a catch face so she began i knew maggie and i knew maggie well she pointed through the window to the fireplace i made that little space for her after spencer died spencer used to eat the grass in her garden and so after he died she'd toddle off each day and pick some grass from the front and leave it on his little ledge there I felt my heart drop, recalling the dried blades of grass along the ledge. Anyway, if you're okay with it, that is. Spencer's ashes are inside that little pot. I think Maggie would like to know he still had a home, if you know what I mean. Brenda started crying a bit. I started crying a bit, as I nodded deeply and thanked her again. I placed the beautiful pot on the centre of the mantelpiece above the fireplace. I'm looking at it now as I type from my couch. Since that day, we haven't had a single incident that I could place as paranormal. Now, looking at it all from Ian's rational point of view, this all could just be coincidental. But I know it's not. I think Maggie has finally accepted us especially as we have finally given Spencer back his home. Thanks for taking the time to read my true paranormal experience, Carol. And thank you, Carol, so much for submitting your true paranormal experience. It's exceptionally rare on The Dark Paranormal that we get a story which is as touching as it is terrifying. But that was both for me. And for those wondering which part of the story entered my nightmares, did you guess? Oh, that's right, it was the woman in the shroud stood on the doorstep. Thankfully, she didn't scream and I didn't wake up to any screaming, 
but I do hope I don't run into her again in any future nightmares. And that brings us to the end of another episode of The Dark Paranormal. As ever, thank you for choosing to spend your time with me here on the show. You can find us on both Facebook and Instagram by searching for The Dark Paranormal. And we've also recently opened a YouTube channel. Simply go to YouTube and search at The Dark Paranormal. There should be a couple of videos on there for you now. Please don't forget, if you have a true paranormal experience, email it over to thedarkparanormal at hotmail.com. The good thing about being the host of this show is I know what's to come next week. And believe me, you won't want to miss it. But until then, I'll speak to our Patreons on Sunday for another episode of Dark Bites. And for everyone, I'll speak to you next Friday for our next episode. Until then, remember, when you're discussing the paranormal, always try and leave some of your disbelief at the door. And I'll see you next time here on The Dark Paranormal. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.